Welcome to the Madness Continues podcast. Uh, if you're Vladimir Putin, I'd like to extend a special welcome to you. I know you've listened to every episode. Uh, <laughs> that's the joke, by the way, on the show is that Vladimir Putin is a continuous listener. I get one one person from Moscow for some reason listens to this show. Uh, but today, a guest on the show is the uh, co-founder and curator of YouGallery.com, Alex Farkas. Alex, welcome to the podcast. Oh, thanks for having me today. Uh, you're welcome, and um, thank you for for <laughs> we connected in such a weird way. I reached out to you to see if you're going to IRCE in Chicago, and then uh, I thought, well, we were kind of, and you were not, I think, uh, but you were like, yeah, uh, I could maybe be open to doing a podcast because I was fascinated, like we were kind of just talking, uh, be- you know, minutes ago about how the process of curating is something that I'm kind of fascinated by right now. And you're, you essentially have launched that business and a successful business and you're basically an online curator as well. That's correct. Yeah. We've been running you gallery for uh, about 13 years now. We're a totally curated online art gallery. We represent about 350 artists worldwide and We've shipped art to about 50 countries and all 50 states. Um, so learned a little bit about curating over the years. Yeah, this is fascinating because I think a couple of things. One is you started U Gallery just out of university, isn't that right? Yes. Um, yes, this business goes way back um, and probably even farther back than that. I grew up in a little arts town in northern Arizona, a place called Jerome. It's uh, like 450 people who live up in the mountains, and uh, it's a little hippie enclave arts community. My mom was a potter, and she also had her own gallery. So I grew up learning kind of the gallery business from her. My uncle is also a woodworker, so I spent a lot of time making things in his studio as a kid. And I took that along with me when I went to school. And I had this really awesome opportunity. I studied art history and some sculpture at the University of Arizona. And my mom encouraged me along the way. She said, a business degree would be very practical for you upon graduation. So I went into the business school not really knowing what it was about, uh, but they had this really fantastic entrepreneurship program. Uh, They give you a year to develop an idea Uh, kind of learn how to write a business plan, how to pitch it. And so I came up with this idea. I knew uh, a few artists from the art school who were making really fantastic art. And that transition from art school to a professional career seemed very steep. So I started to develop this idea with uh, my partners at school. And uh, the university really loved the idea. So they fostered the project. They taught us the ropes of pitching, and they sent us to several business case competitions around the country. We went to the kind of premier international one in Indiana, and we actually went to an international one in Canada as well. And amazingly, we won both competitions. Uh, They had a little bit of cash prize, so that was our seed money. And we got together the week before graduation and decided, let's launch this business. So... We did, and it was kind of, you know, from very humble beginnings, we pooled the resources we had from graduation checks and what we got from our winnings. You're just our like winnings. scraping, <laughs> turning yeah. over piggy banks. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, so, you know, we put together our initial plan. We said, you know, we're going to give it a go. Uh, we moved up to Phoenix. Uh, my business partner and I moved up to Phoenix. We rented a little house with a third bedroom that we rented to another friend so we could help cover the, the cost, and we got to work. We, we went and built our website and started to figure out the ins and outs of how do you recruit artists, how do you market to people, and uh, you know here we are 13 years later. So it's been a pretty exciting journey. So why do you think, so I'm curious about a couple things in this story before we even kind of get into the meat of you know talking about curation and navigating through the world of, of artists and art. Um, I'm kind of curious, why do you think you won those pitch competitions? I mean, was it was it due to tightness of pitch? Was it the kind of the novelty of the idea? And we can kind of get into that in a second also, because I think that Gallery is a fascinating idea from a business perspective for a, a number of different reasons. Um, but I, I'm just kind of sort of curious why you think you beat out the competition in those, in those pitches. That's a great question. Uh, I think so many factors are at play at those competitions. 
But as a an undergraduate business school competition, I think our idea was pretty novel. Uh, you know, some of the other things we were pitching again up against were a little bit more mainstream. And uh, you know, just thinking back, 13 years ago, the online art world wasn't what it was today. This mm. was pretty fresh idea. There were one or two other businesses who had kind of, you know, made a foray into the space, but nothing that exists today was there. Mm. Um, so it was really... That's a, true. There was no Etsy. There was no... I just think, try to yeah. think where somebody would go to even put up art online. It would have to have been probably eBay or something like that 13 years ago. Exactly. There were a couple companies that existed then that aren't around now. There was one, I think, called Picasso Mio that we emulated and looked up to it's no longer so you know that was really a big part of it uh i also think we worked really hard pretty much it became an obsession for myself and my other business partners we spent our nights and weekends of our senior year just getting together at one of our buddies houses uh working on our powerpoint we made a mock looking website using powerpoint i'd love to find it now because i'm sure it looks great uh but <laughs> it, you know that was that was just it it became kind of our our little um diversion and we spent so much time on it. So we were really polished. And again, I can't stress enough how good the university was to us. Uh, they really helped us every step of the way. So I think we just had a lot of good factors going for us. And uh, it's, it seems to be luck to me at the end of the day. You go to those business plan competitions and it's kind of a, a toss of a coin. So Yeah, like I, how anything is going to go. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You don't know. And you know, I I feel like I've been told before that I'm a lucky person, so I, I take that with a, a grain of salt too. With all this, we worked hard, but I think there was just you know right place, right time kind of situation. It's funny because I I was involved with um, a startup, a bootstrap startup in Chicago years ago called Give Me Another, and we went to a pitch competition and. The CEO of the company, um, who is a really nice guy, but probably wasn't the right guy to get up and do the pitch. <laughs> he got shot down so quickly in the pitch competition. <laughs> Didn't even make it through the first round, but like really before he was even done with the pitch, they were like, yeah, uh, thumbs down. <laughs> and like, Aww, that's yeah, so it was, tough. Like, it was bad it's, news. He got shot down so quickly. <laughs> it's hard. I, I remember before we went to the first competition, we spent two days locked in a room just doing the pitch over and over and over again. And just that, it's it's a bit like comedy, I imagine, a bit like acting. You really have to rehearse it. Um, Off-the-cuff answers typically hurt you in those situations. So oh, it's completely, kind of, it's totally like a p political. It's like it's like yeah. preparing for a, a you know a debate or something. It's like it, it's very, it's a performance and it's really, uh, you know, I mean, it's like best to imagine it that way. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, it is a performance. You're up on stage. Uh, we did this great little intro to our PowerPoint. Uh, we uh, set up a presentation of kind of the great artists of art history, people like uh, Michelangelo and Degas, and we played it to the Batman song of <laughs> all of these great artists from history who had studied in classical ateliers and other artist studios. And so here we came along in this great line of art history, and we were what's next of artists coming out of art schools and being young, fresh, emerging artists and just people from different walks of life who are going to be this next chapter in art history. So I think <laughs> that is really like so pretentious, man. <laughs> it is totally. Uh, and I, I mean, I think that's part of it, right? That build up the presentation, do everything you can to get people hyped up. Because after all, these judges are professionals who are donating their time to like a two or three day, you know, college level business plan competition, which I'm guessing is pretty boring for the most part. So. Yeah, I don't know. That's pretty. That's very funny, though. Uh, it, it sounds like it worked. So apparently, you you did it right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, funny to think about that stuff because it does feel so long ago now in the evolution of all of this. But it's all part of it. You know, it's funny. I never really saw while we were doing that part of it. I never really saw this as being this business. Uh, at the time, it just felt like fun at school. So. And then the opportunity came along, well, let's take it to the next step. And I think the business has always kind of evolved that way. Like, let's take it to the next step now. That's cool. Um, 
So I, I mean, I think it's, I think it's obviously it's like exciting that you, you're still in it. I mean, so clearly it's not only did did it work, but it's still working. Exactly. Um, which is which is pretty cool. So you, it's fascinating to me because this, I mean, the intersection of art and so so this is what I'm fascinated in. We talked a little bit about it, you know, before um, sort of before we got into the recording, but I'm. I'm really fascinated, fascinated by the intersection between art and the marketplace, um, and really life in the marketplace, that we have to all live our lives with one foot or more solidly within the marketplace, which is commodifying and um, some part of your life in order for you to extract value. Um, in the form of money so that you can live and right. you know recently I don't know if you saw it I, I think um, the movie At Eternity's Gate which is about uh, Vincent Van Gogh is, uh, is, is fascinating because there's a, the, one of the themes in the movie is his continuous need to borrow money from his brother and his need to sell paintings and none of his paintings obviously are selling he was pretty much despised almost in his own time right? Uh, and it's fascinating to me because as a comedian, you have to find an audience somewhere. Um, not only do you have to find an audience in terms of, I can't actually do the art without it being towards someone, um, but I also feel like I I have to find an audience of people who want to consume it, so that uh, so that people who own a venue will want to put me on stage so I can do jokes to them. Um, so it's. The whole process is kind of fascinating, and then how do you produce art that people want to consume, and how do you do it authentically in a way that's true, sort of for you, and all of these things? And so I think it's interesting because you run a, you run a successful business right at the intersection of that, at least in terms of visual art, um, and in a way that I think other, you, I mean, you really do it in a fascinating way because other websites and other companies that have attempted to do this, sort of. I just think of the IKEAs of the world who decide, hey, this is an interesting, you know, piece of art or photo, and <laughs> let's make a hundred thousand copies of it and right. sell it everywhere. And the things that you sell are truly sort of one of a kind, um, or in small batches. And I find that fascinating because curation is a huge part of it. So um, I, I guess I'm interested as to how you, like, in the next part of the story, would be how did you create relationships with artists uh and and you know, which artists do you choose and sort of what maybe maybe a good way to answer that question would be to kind of get into the next part of the business which is how did you begin to get relationships with artists such that you could take their work into the market yeah i mean this is fascinating certainly i think it is the main differentiator from anyone else in the space for our business we spend so much time figuring out what we're going to show and paying special attention to the artists that we work with it's a relationship uh, most of the other websites i think that exist today and have in the past are more of a marketplace where artists can just put a profile up and post whatever they want and they never really interact with the people behind the company maybe unless there's a problem or something like that and they wait a long time for a response mm. but we see this as a very hands-on business. Art is a personal expression. You know, this is all about the human condition. Uh, it's it's very personal. Artists they're working by themselves in their studio. You know, expressing these you know deep feelings they have about life and what they're encountering. So it's our job to honor that. And you know, we look in a lot of different places. It can tell you about how we find artists. But when we start a relationship. It's uh, hopefully in person if it can be geographically possible, but otherwise, you know, we start every relationship with phone calls with our artists, talking with them about what they do and how we can be successful together, and we just build from there. The whole point is that we do a good job representing them, both monetarily, but also that we do a good job representing them online so that people who search for their work have a good experience, um, can take something away, better understand their work, and uh, that's really important to us. Uh, you know, we're a small team, but I think that we spend uh, a really large chunk of our time communicating with our artists and also our customers for the same reason. You know, we want this to be something that's um, very personal for everyone involved. 
And it's interesting because in the early days it was hard. You have a website and you don't have any customers and you don't have any artists. <laughs> so <laughs> like which which comes first and you have to start to convince people on both sides that what we are doing is meaningful and that if they're part of it, they'll be involved in something great. And so we really started focused on the student art market. We looked for artists who were still in art school and recently graduated. That was kind of the thesis of the business in school. And mm. we did that for the first 18 months or so. I think we worked really hard to own that market. And so I spent tons of time hitting the road. I went to art schools. I talked to painting and sculpture classes and went to career counseling sessions and did everything I could to attract that type of artist. In the beginning, we even offered a sign-up bonus. We told artists, if you sign up uh, and post five pieces on our website, we'll give you $100, no questions asked. Wow. We tried all kinds of different things. And you know, even that wasn't that effective. Uh, I think what we found was that we just had to prove it to people. So we had some really fantastic artists in the early days who took a leap of faith with us probably for the reasons that I'm talking about too, just spending time to get to know the artists that we wanted to work with. And uh, that went a long way because I think as the business has evolved, we've constantly moved up a, a notch and a notch by artist referrals. I think that's our number one source of quality art mm. at this point. Is, just, is by interpersonal referrals from other artists. Yeah. yeah, artists telling their friends and studio mates and people in their community had a really good experience with this gallery. They do a lot to promote me correctly, and I think you should give it a try. And also, artists want to be represented in good company, too. So I think that's part of it. They pick people who they relate to and uh, emulate and want to be you know, closer to. So that's been really big. I, I'd say uh, the, the main thing is just having a good record and doing right by our artists. And the same goes for our clients, too. We receive so many good new customers based on referrals. So it's been fascinating trying to grow the business over the years. So in the early days, it was add an artist every now and then. Mm. Now we receive probably uh, 100 applications uh, every month or so for artists looking to apply to us. We're pretty selective about those that we take maybe uh, two or 3% of those get chosen. And then I spend a lot of time, I'm based in San Francisco, so I spend a lot of time going to open studios, just visiting uh, mm. artists I know, and um, I look for people online. Anytime someone catches my eye, I'll reach out to them. So it's kind of a, a process of you know, searching for things in different ways mm. and bringing it together. And it's my personal aesthetic at the end of the day, so the curation is a lot about kind of my personal quirky taste mm. and mix of things because it is a really fine line between picking artwork that you know will sell and picking artwork that you believe in and having a mix too because we're an online gallery so we're not just representing 10 artists it's not quite the same as having a physical space I have a little bit more exhibition space to use so picking things that kind of fit together but also represent a little bit broader range than you might get at your local gallery. Yeah, so this is fascinating to me because this is, so you're, I mean, yeah, first of all, it's a great, I think it's a high quality problem that you've got a hundred, you know, people applying every month uh, to, or more to want to, to get involved with you gallery. It's just fascinating to me because I would think as a, as a curator, you're, you're, one, you have your own taste, which completely makes sense. And obviously you have good taste, you have a, a successful Thanks. business. Um, but I think the second part of that is I would imagine a lot of this is judging the taste of the audience. And I think probably the advantage um, you have is that you've got personal relationships probably with many of your best clients and you know what they like and what they're going to purchase and what they've purchased in the past and things like this. Um, do you ever, I mean, that's, I guess, maybe a, a place that I want to dive into is what, if an artist wanted to work with you, what would they, what would they bring to the table that would be attractive? Um, and that could be either answers in terms of the answer to your taste or answers in terms of, uh, maybe a following or, or market demand, or I guess I'm just curious, however you want to answer that question, 
feel free to do it. I'm, I guess I'm trying to think like what, what would someone, what would an artist do in order to, to catch your eye or to get involved? Yeah, I, I think that's a good question. There's certainly an element of aesthetics. So the things that I'm drawn to, I, I mentioned in the beginning uh, that I grew up working in my mom's gallery and she's an artist. She's helped me. Is every she still step. in Jerome, by the way? She, she, has, she is still in Jerome. Um, she's been up there for a long time. She's lived in Sedona, which is probably more famous and just across the valley. Um, but we've always kind of had our connections there. And so she's helped me every step of the way with the business, and she still works with me today. Mm. Um, so we we curate together. I think she has one of the more amazing eyes of anyone I've ever met, just in terms of uh, looking at art, understanding you know different aspects of the art world, and balancing out what you were saying. We know what our clients are looking for, so it's a little bit of searching out um, that type of art, but also not trying to get um, too far down that path of just trying to pick the things that people already know they want. Mm. You have to balance it out so that there's still some uh, tension and excitement in the collection. Mm -hmm. uh, we, we know, I mean, typically, I think throughout history, people have collected similar types of art. People like landscapes and now abstract art in the modern age. And there's a certain level of living with these things in your home that's uh, it's decoration, it's enrichment for your spaces. But then at the same time, we're searching out art that challenges people a little bit mm. and gives them something to think about on a daily basis. And not all art has to be beautiful, um, but art doesn't have to be uh, difficult to be special as well. So finding these kind of balances between what is commercially viable and also is something that we really love and want to be around. Uh, my personal collection is quite off the wall, but anytime <laughs> I've been in the, yeah. the house of other gallerists and art people, you see it's the same way. And I think with anything that you get really deeply involved with, you kind of peel back these layers and your tastes become more esoteric and you're always searching for something new to kind of challenge your opinions and give you a different perspective on what you're looking at. Um, so that's part of it. I think that's, but, that is a really fascinating, uh, explanation actually. And I think the reason that's, uh, let me just dive into this a little bit is I think that part of the reason that's fascinating is because it maps pretty well actually onto the experience of doing comedy. And it's interesting because there's this joke that whenever two comedians get together, the only thing they try to do is just say the most shocking and ridiculous things to one another to try to get <laughs> each other to laugh. And yes, as a result, I mean, you can go see any episode that Joe Rogan has another comedian on his podcast. It's that's exactly what they're trying to do is they're just they just say things that are they totally don't mean and are completely off the wall in order to do that. But whenever you expose that kind of thing, like like just to to dovetail onto that also that there's this other sort of belief in the com comedy world that, you know, you, you need to do open mics. You have to go to places where other comedians are and and to try to get in front of them because you need an audience to work out material and you can't do that in front of shows necessarily because mm -hmm. you're, you don't want to give audiences a look at things you have in the works because they might not be completed yet and might not be ready for the audience and because comedy is an art of experience I think the you know, the challenge is how do you do that? Well, you go to these open mics, but they're attended by other comedians. And as a result, if you go to too many of them, you start tailoring your taste for crowds of comedians, which is like the death knell to anybody's sense of humor because... Right, it's extreme. Yeah, it's just completely nuts. So, you know, you can do these jokes that work really, really well in front of audiences of comedians. And then when you get, like, let's say you get a gig where you're, I'm doing um, the Comedy Castle in Detroit, Michigan this weekend. There's jokes I would never tell in front of a normal audience because they're normal people. And <laughs> your your taste can just get so esoteric and bizarre that right. people are just like, this is not, this isn't a joke. You just talked about putting a baby in a microwave. And you're like, yeah, but I didn't mean it. Like, <laughs> like right. I only said that Don't want to scar the, the family yeah. audience. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's, it's so true. Um, so that's really fascinating because it almost feels like, and what you're doing as a curator, it feels like is, 
is you're enter you're you're kind of entering things into specifically the kind of the market you've developed as a uh, as a challenge to it slightly as a leading it slightly as a it really is I mean it's fascinating because you know we enter this kind of this is not just applicable to art but we enter this economy in which having an, a curated experience comes to you know is sort of becomes kind of the next level of of whatever it is in in the in you know, the marketplace, because there are just so many, I can go on Amazon and type in shirt and get a hundred thousand shirts, but I would rather have, you know, trunk club, just send me what they know I like. Uh, so it's interesting because you were ahead of that curve. Yeah. I mean, it does seem like this is a relatively new phenomenon. I remember we were already using the word curated, obviously, because that's what we were doing from the beginning. And there was a period of time kind of in the late two thousands where, other businesses started to use it. People didn't know what it meant at first. And then suddenly it was overused and everything was curated. Yeah. <laughs> uh, curated t-shirts and juice and everything else. We provide uh, but, a completely curated donut experience. Yeah. Here. I mean, and it was great too. <laughs> um, I think that it's, it's really important to have uh, people who are experts in their space make sense of the world we live in just because of how complex and vast and how many people there are now. That's interesting. So it yeah. makes sense. And the internet is fascinating because it's opened up this whole new level of accessibility to all of these ideas and products that maybe weren't even, you know, mainstream before. I think art is an interesting example of that. The traditional gallery model was uh, this kind of like small space that you would go into and you really had to know what was going on to interact. There are a lot of um, particular kind of, uh, I'm trying to think, rituals and norms of the traditional art gallery experience mm. where you go in and the way you interact with the art and the people in the space. And it can be very off-putting to those who aren't familiar with that. And so traditionally, I think there was kind of a, a sense of, you were either really involved in art and original art, or you just went and bought the prints and posters that were at, you know, the, the print shop down the street yep. or, you know, something you found online. And so, uh, this is an interesting opportunity now for people who are a little bit less engaged to learn about the process, mm. to engage with art and kind of get their footing. And I don't think it's one or the other where it has to be the online galleries are killing the physical galleries or they're in competition with each other. I think they're different types of clients. And I even think the online gallery is a little bit of the feeder system for the physical gallery to get people comfortable with that whole process. We have customers all over the country and I talked to people, I talked to a man recently, he's based in rural Iowa and he's bought a number of paintings from us in the last couple of years. And I was chatting with him about it and he said, well, I've been interested in art for a really long time, but traditionally, the only thing that I could find around me were hunting scenes. And he said, I'm not interested in that. The local galleries only carried this like particular type of art. And he said that the internet and specifically you gallery has been fantastic because I can connect with artists from other walks of life and bigger cities. He said, I don't have to get on a plane to go look at art. And that's really opened up the world to me for being able to have different original art in my life. And so I think that's something really important that the internet does. But then back to where we started, you need someone to help you make sense of that. Because if mm. you go into a lot of these marketplaces, you'll encounter a half a million artists and five million pieces of art. And if you're not accustomed to that, it's really overwhelming to judge quality and originality and those things. So that's where we come in. And my whole goal is to show people artists that I feel strongly about. Mm. Um, you were asking what artists can do to be uh, considered for what we do. I think a lot of it is just um, working at something specific and kind of working out the details and iterations. That, that's one thing I saw from early on working with student artists to now where we're working with more, slightly more established, still people who are emerging, but student artists are still figuring it out. Their art might resemble other artists' work or they might not be working in cohesive series where it's like a piece here, a piece there. Um, so I think a lot of it is picking an idea to focus on and spending your time kind of working through that and starting to develop something that is your own unique aesthetic, uh, your own unique take on a particular subject or an idea. And that's, that's when 
I start to find artists that I get really excited about, where they're they're working at something that can be uh, a long running thing. And then that also works to our advantage too. It's nice to be able to promote artists who have something uh, specific that they've been doing because it's very marketable to say, okay, you know, this is the series they're working on. And if they produce, um, this piece, there's going to be more later once I sell it. So I can Mm. keep that story and clients like that too. I find oftentimes we have people who come back over years to collect artists work. And I I like that too. That's fascinating. Yeah. I mean, that doesn't surprise me either though, because you, you start to like, I mean, it's the same reason you purchase similar novels written by the same person, you know what I mean? These, like, it's yeah. not an accident that, uh, you know, novelists have, have certain followings. Um, I'm kind of curious about a couple things, though, that I wanted to ask you about. One is, I can't, I feel like I have to know, like, what are the gallery rituals that you're referring to? Because I feel like that... Ever since seeing them, one, going to now a, a bunch of different galleries because I have lots of different visual artist friends over the last few years who have done that, um, it's making me feel like I violated some like unspoken rules that, <laughs> that have, that have like, existed. And then the second is after seeing the movie Velvet Buzzsaw, I, uh, I don't know if you've seen it, but it's on Netflix, and it, it right. kind, kind of lampoons the art world a little bit. Um, yeah, I mean... Like anything, the art world is quirky and has its own way. It's what I love about it. I, I think partly that like people feel like they are violating some unspoken rules. Uh, you know, my feeling is it's very isolating to go into a quiet gallery where you're not greeted by someone. Yeah, and so that can be very off-putting. And my biggest advice to people is just start a conversation. I often go into galleries and I'll just ask the gallerist can you walk me around and tell me about the pieces in the show? And more often than not, you'll find people are pretty excited about it. It obviously depends on the level of gallery you're going into. Um, certainly at the very highest levels, most of that art is already spoken for. And if you have to ask, that's that kind of situation. But, <laughs> but I don't... Yeah, that could be... I feel like that's a real faux pas is by being like... So uh, I'm, I'm just kind of wondering if you could describe these Jackson Pollocks to me. <laughs> right. Exactly. But I don't really think that's the majority of the art world. Most gallerists are in it because they love it. Mm-hmm. Um, oftentimes they started out as artists themselves Probably and found out they, that love they were talking about it. Yeah. 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 And you know, all of us are kind of in the same boat together. We're just trying to help um, these artists get their work out there and kind of better share the arts with the world at large. So yeah, I think that the unspoken things are more just how do you communicate, how do you talk about art? There's a whole vocabulary involved. Same, I'm sure, as comedy. You you start to learn what the things are that you say. How do you express yourself about a painting? Uh, you know, they say to start with, like, this piece is great. That's probably the worst thing you could say about a piece of art, right? Because there's <laughs> nothing, There's you're not saying anything about it. It's, it's totally laxed description so uh, it, like so anything funny. else if you ever spent <laughs> you ever spend time around people who love wine they'll say oh I, you know i smell pencil shavings and wet steel in and the tobacco. glass i'm getting and, a lot of tobacco yeah, yeah. right so <laughs> every everything that's you know kind of great in the world has again all these layers of meaning and you just start to get better at it over time so I think so. It sounds, I think that's a good takeaway, though, because it sounds like you're saying, "Look, develop a unique perspective," which would be yeah. the same advice. I've been doing stand-up comedy for almost 20 years, but I feel like, which every time I say, I feel like I have to apologize for not being famous for some reason. <laughs> but like, uh, but that's exactly what I would give the advice to a, a younger comic. Is I would be like, "Look, don't try to be funny. Just develop a unique perspective, and right. work on that. And eventually, you'll write things that are." interesting and like bernie Mac said you know i'm gotta be funny for these motherfuckers as long as i'm <laughs> interesting uh i'm gonna edit that out that's a terrible you can't impersonate anybody who's not your race these days that's a real real faux pas brendan um but anyway hey i just love bernie Mac so much so he um he just said yeah it doesn't matter if you're being funny as long as you're being interesting which i feel like is probably part of the truth in a weird way i think stand-up comedy occupies yeah you, you're familiar with thomas kincaid yeah, of course gallery i mean of course yep. who, who could how could you not be i suppose i grew up with a thomas kincaid gallery just around the corner from where i live it's the only gallery i had any sense of uh, right when i was a child um which was probably detrimental <laughs> but 
I remember my dad one day made this argument to me because I was like, that's not art. It's just pictures of houses and shit. <laughs> and uh, my dad was like, well, you know, when I was in art school, uh, they said Norman, I had t- professors who said Norman Rockwell wasn't an artist. Um, <laughs> and I made the same argument that people had made, you know, 70 years, 80 years earlier about Toulouse-Lautrec, which was that people didn't think he was an artist when he was making posters and things like this. Now, I don't know how <laughs> how accurate that is to history, but... I think it's fascinating because it, it is, it, you know, you develop a unique perspective. People develop things. They find an audience. I think, I don't know, there's something about that. Um, That's fascinating. I think if you're doing a good job, people are probably not thinking it's art right now. Uh, you know, there's, I mean, obviously there's so many layers and you can really look at art from this whole spectrum from being very commercial to very conceptual. Mm. I advise people don't try and, chase taste don't try and chase what you think other people want that usually doesn't work as well as just pursuing the thing that you want to work on uh granted you have to gauge yourself and what your financial constraints are and what you need to survive i know a number of artists who often even create in kind of two distinct styles where they'll say i make the work that's commercial that i can sell and then i pursue my passion separately uh, and that's, that's fascinating. And that can take so many forms. Uh, that can literally be painting uh, two canvases side by side with different subject matter. But there's diversification in so many ways. You could be doing studio work versus commercial mural work or um, drawings for magazines or graphic work for design. There's so many ways to kind of pay the bills and then also pursue the other side of it. And an arts career is anything but normal. It's not a nine to five job. You know, it doesn't, you really step off the path pretty early if you choose to be an artist in life. So that's fascinating. I, it's interesting because that corresponds, I think also to music, which is that there are so many bands that have a commercial, they achieve some kind of commercial success. Like I think just a good example is Pete Wenz and, Mm. uh, you know, uh, fallout boy. And then as soon as he's, now commercially successful, he immediately goes and starts another band doing more kind of strange and potentially esoteric, maybe is a good word to describe it, music. Um, not that I think Pete Wenz is an artist <laughs> per se. <laughs> that's, a good ex- that's a good example, though, of just that. Uh, yeah, I think that most, most artists, they have to do something to, to survive. And then it's interesting to see when the divergence happens, what direction they stick with, because it's also really tempting to, who knows where Thomas Kincaid was, which thing he was working on, but clearly he had commercial success and went that path. And it's amazing. He's a household name and he's a household name among kind of middle America too, which is really amazing. Uh, We talk about art is kind of isolating and has been, especially prior to the internet. He was doing it long before the internet came about. So in some ways, I think he's a pretty impressive example. No, I think that's great. I mean, like, that's a great, I think that's a great observation for him. And it's, it's funny because I think, you know, the part of the, the, the problem, and let me, I guess, describe this in two ways. The part of the problems I'm attempting to solve uh, is one, I think that there's a, every comedian is trying to solve this problem, which is you linger in, um, or languish rather in um, obscurity for a long time. And there are people who genuinely really like uh, comedy and they're huge comedy fans. They'll find you on YouTube. They'll watch your stuff. They'll wait until the, you know, they'll follow you on Facebook or Twitter or whatever. And they'll wait until you come out to their area and they'll, they'll go and see you. That's not a tremendously large number of people. Um, and comedy, by its very nature, is kind of bizarre because I liken a lot, and you know, forgive this uh, analogy, but I liken it a lot to probably being a little bit like a like a hooker or something, like <laughs> because you you I'm sure that there are women who charge or men who charge an outrageous amount of money an hour to spend time with them for sex and. It truly is artistic. That's why it costs so much money. <laughs> but 
but the, yeah. but for the most part, you're just kind of solving a quick problem, and that's kind of what I feel like comedy is in many ways. Uh, and I remember the reason I brought up Thomas Kincaid is that the question is like, is this craftsmanship or is it art? And it's fascinating because in many ways, I think comedy is sort of craftsmanship. And at, at some the way that uh, one of the general managers from Zanies, which is a, a, a classic Chicago comedy club says it, um, Bert Haas, he goes, uh, we're in the business of entertainment and sometimes that entertainment becomes art. But it's mm -hmm. fascinating because how do you g get to a place where you're finding people who, like Thomas Kincaid in a way, are no longer your traditional art consumers, but are people who are going to change go outside of their normal realm of consumption in order to go, you know what, I think I'm going to go see this guy doing comedy at the, you know, whatever club around the corner on Friday night, because that's fascinating to me in one way or another. Um, and then in many ways, I think that's a problem that all artists have to solve, I think, um, is yeah. how do you find your audience? And then the second thing, if I, if I can throw this out, and getting your advice on one or either of these would be great uh, before we close time here, because I know I want to be cognizant of our schedule, but is I'm trying to solve the problem of do I even want to go to produce things that I feel are inauthentic or semi-inauthentic just to try and solve a commercial problem? <laughs> like, right? do I, do I even want to do that? Because I think there's a part of me that feels like, hey, uh, you don't like me? Well, then fuck you. I don't care if you like me. <laughs> like... <laughs> I think that's the that's the ultimate artist dilemma of all time. <laughs> okay. Awesome. We have we have, I, we have you know thousands of years of religious painting to prove that, right? <laughs> oh my God, that's such a good point. Michelangelo could have been on his back above or underneath the Sistine Chapel, going like, "Oh my God, another day of this crap." <laughs> right. I'm going blind. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, All I such... want to do is abstract paintings, and I have to do this <laughs> stupid crap for the Catholic Church. <laughs> One more angel, and I'm going crazy. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. <laughs> yeah, I, you bring up such good points. I, I mean, marketing is such a fascinating and vast subject. I find that even so many years in, I'm still just... Uh, you know, kind of a, a student and learning, and it's always changing. Certainly, we have so many new technologies all the time, social media and everything else. Um, but it really is, it all comes down to branding. I think that you can look at artists selling at the highest echelons and then down to your most unknown artists who you might only encounter selling their work in an occasional open studio. Mm. And sometimes it's hard to tell the difference between the actual product um, if you can boil it down to that. And it is really a lot about just personal branding and how you put yourself out there. Um, it, it's fascinating. I, sometimes I see things where if I didn't know better, if I didn't know that the artist was already famous, I'd think, I don't know that I would give this a second look. And then <laughs> sometimes you see things that are in total obscurity where you're like, wow, how is this person not just blowing up? The work is so powerful. And I, I mean, really, the answer just always comes back to branding, personal branding, how you put yourself out there, yeah. who, you, who you have promoting you. It really just takes a couple of the right people, I'm finding. And that's probably the same for what you're talking about. Having one or two of the right people in your corner, the right promoter, um, the right patron who opens the door to more of the right people, that's so much more powerful, I think, than pretty much anything you can actually produce, um, any line you can say, anything like that. And that's, I, I, we see that all the time in all walks of life. There are things where you're like, how did this get to be so popular? And it's just really the person behind it more than anything. It's um, a million dollar question and yeah. something I'm always working towards how to better build our brand and what our message is and getting in front of the right people. But then also realizing you can choose who you want to serve and how you want to serve them. I mean, that's like the how big do I want to sell out sort of thing. But yeah. really, um, you know, just deciding like what is the thing that you're trying to accomplish in life? Is it money? Is it fame? Is it doing something different? And then that probably all ladders up to that. And then back to the luck thing. 
I happen to win a couple of business plan competitions. I happen to be at the right show at the right time yep. or I met the right person on the street. So you just never, you never know what, what will occur. No, I mean, these are all, I, I think these are actually good answers. I feel like I fired a really, really fucking hard question at you and you actually gave a good answer. <laughs> yes. Thank you. I mean, this is something I think about like pretty much all waking hours and then also want to sleep too. Oh man, I think I'm gonna have to. The image of of Michelangelo. <laughs> I hope you use that in some some bit somehow. There's oh, got to be. Yeah. It's, well, because I recently read a book. Um, it was. Uh, I think it was. I think it's called uh, "Real Artists Don't Starve" or something. And <laughs> I, I haven't heard of that one. I'll check that out. Yeah, it was. I think it's called "Real Artists Don't Starve," and I forget who wrote it, but it was on. Um, you're in San Francisco. Do you know Jordan Harbinger at all? No. Okay, got it. He's a. Um, he's just a. It's a long story, but I've known him for years. He has a really successful podcast, but he um, originally was from uh, Metro Detroit, which is also where I grew up, and uh, uh, he's uh, he can. I can, he's just kind of a big personality in San Francisco, knows a lot of people. I think with the foot in the e-commerce world that you're in. But anyway, he was on. He had this guy on his podcast, and they were talking about real artists don't starve. So I buy the book and I start reading it. And it's using Michelangelo as an example because when he when he finally retired or, or from you know being an artist, he was like the most successful artist that there had like ever been. Like he right. made an outrageous amount of money in his life. Uh, and it's so funny to think about, but like the answer to the question, like how do you become a not starving artist in the book, the thesis is like, you just start charging money. And you're like, do you do you get how this works, man? Like, like I gotta, I you know, I have to find a place in the marketplace where people are willing to pay for the thing that I'm trying to do. But like, that's not a. I can't just be like, yeah, pay me now, and then like, okay, suddenly I have no comedy dates. <laughs> like, <laughs> right? It's such a funny question. We talk about this all the time about pricing art because there is no value to any of these things. It's worth. A hundred dollars, a million dollars, it's worth nothing. It's going in the trash. It's yeah. really hard to to set a value for things. And then certainly once you have a price track record, you can do more. That's like, okay, I've booked 10 shows, so clearly I can achieve this and then I can raise my prices. But that starting point is so hard. And I've encountered that before, artists who say, uh, I'm selling these paintings for a hundred thousand dollars a piece. And well, how many have you sold? None. <laughs> <laughs> I think I know why. <laughs> yeah, I think I think I know why. But but you know, it's also just playing that game too. And again, maybe you maybe you hit the jackpot and you get the one guy who comes in the studio and goes, "Okay, I'll take 10. <laughs> yeah, and you're like, "Wow, now I'm a millionaire." Um, right. Yeah, it's funny. I um, I a buddy of mine who's an artist in Plymouth, Michigan. This guy named Tony Rocco, who is um, amazing, and he's. He's always been great. His art's always been great. But for a really long time, he just didn't have hardly any activity. Um, people, you know, I just remember him barely keeping his house together. We used to he used to come into the... We would frequent the same coffee shop in uh, Old Town Plymouth, uh, which is an old railroad town just west of Detroit. And um, it's funny because he then got picked by... I think he won a contest or got picked by the Atwater Brewing Company in Detroit, Michigan to basically do all of their branding like they just loved his art and they were like you're now going to do all of everything that we do and that gave him a lot of attention he was in the news and then suddenly everything like he did yeah. like shot through the roof and now he's like this successful Detroit artist but for a really long time it was like is yeah. it is he going to lose his house like <laughs> right that and I think that's it and that's the that's something that you know, back to why we started Gallery for that reason, because hopefully we can help artists have a little bit more of a say in an audience and find more patrons. If you're a local artist and you're not near the gallery scene, if you don't live in New York or Chicago or LA, San Francisco, even which is much smaller, if you don't have access to an audience, it just, it's like a one in a million shot. So yeah, th th this, there's this way people in Iowa who need to yeah. buy your art. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Who, you know, sight unseen can go, wow, this is so cool. And then just providing people with the tools to do that. Uh, you know, just 
and breaking down all the barriers too. We were talking about the gallery norms and how you interact with the gallery. We've brought so much of the kind of uh, standard e-commerce playbook into our business. We offer free shipping and free returns on all the art we sell. Uh, we put everything in these custom-built art boxes that That's are really cool. easy to open with no peanuts. So you just open the box, and the art is three layers of foam. The middle layer tears out in the shape of the art. So you know, just all that stuff too. Finding ways to you know take something that was very challenging in the past and saying, no, we're going to send you a piece of art that's ready to hang on your wall and put it up and see if you like it. And if you don't send it back in seven days, uh, that kind of stuff too, which is just, it's fascinating just being able to like open up that new audience. So artists like your friend, um, you know, still great that he had that opportunity, but diversify and maybe give him an opportunity to even score more of those kinds of deals that aren't just based on, you know, local connections. Yeah, that's cool. Well, I, I feel like you're doing, uh, you're doing, you're, you're, you're providing a real service in many different directions. So it's not surprising that you, you, you know, that you, you guys have done so well. Um, I think, uh, I'll be cognizant of our time. We're over time a little bit. So thank you for, for making the time. Um, and this is a, this is actually a great conversation. I feel like, uh, I kind of suspected it would be pretty good, Alex, but I appreciate you spending the time and tossing out all of this value, man. This was really good. Thanks. I really enjoyed chatting with you. It's fun. Maybe uh, maybe we can catch up again sometime. Yeah, I when I'm in, you know, um, San Francisco telling the jokes, I'll have I'll send you some guest guest passes. That would be awesome. Yeah, I'd love to meet you in person and uh, let me know we can get together. Maybe grab a coffee or something like that. You got it. Take it easy. Yeah, you too. Thanks, Brendan. And let me know when this uh, comes out. I'd love to listen to myself and cringe a little bit. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah you did. You sounded fine. <laughs> okay, that's it's, it's so hard. It's so hard to watch or to you know review yourself afterwards. Uh, there are so many like little ticks that I always notice after I do it. I'm like, okay, I'm not going to do that next time. <laughs> At least you listen to yourself. You know, there's plenty of people who super don't do that. <laughs> There's, I was reading, uh, last thing I'll say, I was reading this book uh, recently about the auction houses like Sotheby's and Christie's and they have like staff on like, like all the time falling around their auctioneers, videotaping them, watching them and playing back the things so that they don't develop certain habits with their hands or mannerisms or saying like or you know or any of that sort of thing. And I can't imagine it would be awesome to have that, but also just terrifying. <laughs> yeah. Terrifying. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe become desensitized, but that kind of blew me away, gave me new perspective. I need to really pay attention to my uh, outward persona. Yeah. That level of self-reflection. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's painful, but it's important. Um, well, well, yeah. Thank you so much, Alex. Uh, take yeah. it easy. Be well. Yeah, you too. Bye. Talk with you soon. Bye.